Volume. Welcome to Transparency Talks, the member-oriented podcast focused on truth, transparency, and trust produced by Volume. I'm Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, Executive Director of the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, or CCIJ. You can find out more about our work at our website at ccij.io. We are very fortunate this week to have uh, on the show Brezhnev Malaba, who has done an important story uh, about water for our community and also has had a very extensive and varied career. He describes himself as an entrepreneur, journalist, publicist, corporate communications expert, writer, and polymath on all things sensible. Brezhnev, we're thrilled to have you on Transparency Talks. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we're, we're very fortunate and grateful to have you. and. I wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh, your impetus for getting into journalism. Uh, I know that you are from the Bulawayo area. I was in Bulawayo in 1996. I lived for a year in South Africa, so went to Vic Falls and Hwangi and did some of those touristy type of things, but did go through Bulawayo. So can you talk a little bit about growing up in that community and what made you want to get into journalism? Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, You've just taken me back to an area that I grew up in. Uh, My grandfather is a house in Victoria Falls. And so we grew up in uh, that spectacular tourist attraction. Uh, I know the area very well. To take you back to your question, um, why did I go into journalism? Well, I've always been fascinated about uh, the way the world works. And um, I've also been fascinated about... uh, politics, economics, uh, about how citizens and their leaders interact. And I've always been curious to know how all these components work in a a society. Uh, And so I've also had a sense of uh, social justice. Uh, The area we grew up in uh, is a very arid area. Uh, Although, you know, the area generates a lot of money in terms of foreign currency, uh, being a tourist attraction. Uh, you tend to realize that uh, the local communities don't benefit much from uh, the the revenue that comes in from tourism, for instance. Um, And so seeing all those things as you grow up, you begin to ask questions. Why are people not benefiting from their natural resources? Why is the economy uh, performing in the manner it is performing? Why are the politicians saying what they're saying? All those questions, the curiosity to know how the world around me works. That pushed me into journalism. Well, no, I, I, I really feel that curiosity and that commitment to social justice in your work, Brezhnev, in your career, which at this point is over two decades. And I just wanted to talk with you a little bit. I mean, for me, obviously, I'm coming from the outside of Zimbabwe, but there's such a poignant element to your country in that, that there's that very famous independence concert Uh, in Zimbabwe with Bob Marley shortly before he died, 1981, singing Africa Unite, Africa Unite, and that that joyous moment, and yet how quickly 
the Mugabe government moved in such an opposite direction uh, into really brutality and state control. And I've noticed that one of the uh, areas that, that you write about and, and you tweet about and comment on and call people to count about are, are the massacres of the genocide in the 80s of the Indibeli people, the Gukurahundi mass massacres. Can you talk a little bit about that experience on a personal level, but also how that contributes to your sense of social justice? Well, thank you, Jeff. The sense of euphoria that uh, characterized uh, independence celebrations in 1980 were an unforgettable experience for everyone, even though I was quite young, I've read extensively, I've viewed the videos uh, through oral tradition that we've been told by our elders how it was, how everyone was so jubilant and uh, how everyone was so excited about uh, the birth of a new republic. Um, but then soon after independence in 1980, uh, two to three years later, there was a genocide in, the, in this country. And that genocide was in Matabeleland, where I come from. So what happened then is uh, the government, uh, the ZANU-PF government, ZANU-PF is the ruling party in Zimbabwe, which has been in power since 1980. The ruling party, ZANU-PF, then claimed that uh, there were dissidents, armed bandits, who were destabilizing the communities and causing problems there. So as a result, the government sent in a crack a military unit trained in North Korea. These soldiers uh, were told to kill civilians, uh, predominantly Ndebele-speaking civilians in Matebeleland. And as a result, uh, an estimated 20,000 people were killed in that genocide. And that remains a sore point in this country. And uh, people, as a result, people in that part of the country don't feel uh, they have a sense of belonging. They feel that they've been uh, ostracized uh, they are being victimized, and as a result, they are suffering because the underdevelopment in that part of the country has continued, uh, affecting uh, even the younger generations. And so, yes, uh, that is a, a problem that has not been resolved in this country. And um, currently, the president here, Emerson Mnangagwa, who was, by the way, back then in the 1980s, one of the architects of uh, the genocide uh, as security minister back then, He's now present now. Recently, he has been trying to reach out to local communities, but he's not doing it in the proper way because they've chosen a few people that they are working with uh, and then they want to uh, posture as if they are solving, they are attending to the problem of, of Kukuraundi, but they are not because there is no genuine truth telling. Uh, there is no uh, conversation that is going to come from the government. Uh, those who perpetrated the genocide uh, have not been brought to justice. No one is talking about justice. They are, all they are talking about is how best can we help you to get birth certificates, those who are affected by the genocide. Because that is not good enough. That is simply not good enough. They've got to go back to the local communities, talk to the people who are affected, talk to the local community leaders, uh, hold meetings with those people and ask them, what do you feel about genocide? And how can we move forward? Because if they do that, they will realize that there's need for truth telling, there's need for justice, there's need for genuine atonement on the part of the government, which is not what we've seen so far. So indeed, um, that is a very un uh, difficult subject here in Zimbabwe. It's an unresolved problem. And uh, if this country is to move forward, uh, politicians, 
and leaders uh, in all uh, sections of society, including the church, have got to take it very seriously and go back to the drawing board and come up with genuine proper solutions uh, that serve the interest of, of, of the nation, not the interest of individuals. Well, and, and I, I appreciate that. And I, I feel in your work, uh, Brezhnev, that commitment to truth telling and to uh, justice in a very strong and pointed way. So I just wanna read, for example, one uh, excerpt from a column uh, that you wrote, which seems to be one of a number of different ways in which you express yourself. So this one is in particular about the judicial system in Zimbabwe and f starting with the, with the habit still of judges in Zimbabwe of wearing wigs, but really it's a, it's a longer and a deeper look at what does justice mean in our country. So I just wanna read this. From the mid 17th century to the mid 18th century, men who considered themselves fashionable wore wigs to accentuate what they imagined to be a lofty social standing. In much of the world, these relics of a bygone era have since been discarded, except in Africa where judges and advocates still stubbornly cling onto the wigs as if their very careers depend on the ridiculous sartorial accessory. But it appears wigs, which were the height of male fashion in uncivilized England, are not the only hopelessly archaic aspects of our judicial system. As a journalist, I have witnessed how the courts of law have remained out of tune with the realities of 21st century society. Very strong words, Brezhnev. And can you talk a little bit about the use of language, the commitment to justice and to truth telling as manifested in that column in particular, but really if I'm reading it correctly, your work in general. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, yes, I wrote that column. I remember it very well. It's very important for journalists uh, to speak truth to power. We need to also speak truth to our communities. Uh, indeed, our obligation is to be truth and uh, we should not back down. So it's a, a social observation that uh, I made in that regard, uh, that uh, there is this uh, relic of a bygone era where judges are still wearing these fancy wigs uh, when they're in chambers. And so I thought that was quite ridiculous. I mean, why would you do that in the 21st century? Uh, the people who came up with those things have since uh, discarded them uh, in many parts of the world. Uh, but here in Africa, you continue wearing the wigs in court. And I thought, uh, well, it's also a metaphor for the manner in which uh, the justice system generally is alienated. Uh, it's, uh, it doesn't serve the interests of uh, the common person. Um, it's difficult now to access justice as an ordinary person here in this country in Zimbabwe. Uh, justice is for those people who have money, who can afford lawyers. Uh, if you're a journalist, for instance, uh, you speak about corruption, you write about corruption in public place, in higher places, you get thrown into prison and they deny you bail. That is not justice. It's important for our society to realize that justice should serve the interests of society and not the interests of the leaders. Uh, it's supposed to be a constitutional democracy, Zimbabwe, but uh, it's anything but. You can see that the selective application of the law. And uh, recently, one of the prominent journalists in Zimbabwe, Hopo Chimono, was thrown into prison. And they said he was inciting a public violence, but his crime was to expose high-level corruption. 
in the COVID-19 public procurement uh, process. There were some uh, very dirty deals uh, in the COVID procurement process. He wrote about that uh, on social media and they just arrested him and threw him into jail. So you can see that the justice uh, system is supposed to work for everyone, but it is not working for everyone currently. It's serving largely the interests of those who have political power, those who have proximity to political power, and that cannot be justice for this, this society. Well, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a powerful set of points you're making there. And one of the, the lines I liked in the column was, uh, you called it uncivilized England. And it reminded me, they, uh, Gandhi was once asked what he thought of Western civilization. And he said, I think it's a good idea. And so the, the way that you... <laughs> The way that you bring an uncivilized England, and that reminded me of that line by Gandhi. But 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 I, I want to hone in on that point, Rajna, that you made about Zimbabwe being a constitutional democracy, and yet I also it's a constitutional democracy in an African context. And I, I pick up in your work and even in some of the comments you've made earlier, a profound respect for community, for culture, and for the common person. And you, you yourself have paid a high price. You, you've been arrested, you've been sued uh, in, in relation to uh, some of your work, you know, some, some of the personal issues you've gone through have been exposed through the press. Can you talk about that environment in which you're working to manifest your respect and fulfill your vision of, of the role of a journalist and the consequences that that's meant for you? Well, Jeff, uh, that's an important question. Um, first and foremost, let me put it this way. I ventured into journalism voluntarily. Um, I love the profession. I love what it does. I love what it uh, can do for society. And I'm always uh, motivated by the idea that uh, I'm making a difference in my community. And so this is the perspective that uh, uh, I approach journalism from. Um, well, obviously, you've got to understand that uh, in Africa, it's not easy to practice journalism. Uh, many of the countries, most of the countries are not really fully-fledged democracies. Uh, some are outright authoritarian uh, states, uh, which is the case with Zimbabwe. And so, yes, you get to be targeted uh, for uh, writing the truth, exposing uh, corruption, for instance. Uh, it's a fairly common thing. I've worked uh, previously in state-controlled media, and uh, there, the manipulation by politicians is an everyday reality. It's not something that you hear about uh, during discussions in the pub, you know? It's something that you experience every day. And so you can tell that, uh, you know, politicians want to control uh, the information dissemination system. They want to control how the media works. Uh, they want to control the narrative, in other words. But as journalists, we cannot allow them to do that. Um, and now we have a new project that I'm setting up with a couple of colleagues, uh, Zimbabwe's first uh, center for investigative journalism. It's going to be called the Center for Public Interest Journalism. We hope our work can uh, bring uh, to the light uh, a lot of the things that affect uh, the common person, governance issues, how the economy is run, uh, how politics uh, shapes uh, 
the outcomes of the average person in terms of the opportunities that they get in life and how decisions, uh, policymakers' decisions affect society uh, in the, at the end of the day. So these are some of the issues that uh, we'll be focusing on. Um, but uh, yeah, indeed, uh, it's tough terrain, but it comes with the terrain also. You've got to understand that uh, uh, no one ever promised me that journalism is going to be a walk in the park. It's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough. It's been tough. We also face problems accessing resources. Um, things that a journalist in New York would take for granted, access to the internet, having a laptop, having electricity to power that laptop. Those things are not guaranteed in Africa where we operate from. So uh, wow. in urban areas even, let alone in the rural areas. Uh, so as a result, most of Africa, uh, which is rural by the way, is not being covered by journalists because you cannot function as a journalist in the rural areas, it's not easy. You simply need uh, resources to venture out there and cover the rural story. So there's still a lot of work, Jeff, that has to be done uh, in this part of the world in terms of promoting journalism and empowering journalists to do their work in a better way. Well, that's, that's a critical point, and I'm very glad that you brought that up, uh, Brezhnev. We very fortunately connected with you through the Open Society Initiative for Southern Africa, and you, I, I know for them, you wrote a very extensive report on, on, on really the regional, uh, looking at four countries, the regional perspective on, on debt and the kind of debt conundrum. So, you know, just a, a very different kind of, of project and reporting. Can, can you talk a little bit about that work and how that helped expand, perhaps it helped expand your perspective on what was happening in Zimbabwe to the, to the four countries and for the regional awareness. Not that you didn't have it before, but I would imagine doing a deep, a deep dive like that did, did in some way broaden your understanding. Thank you for that question. Um, it was a very exciting uh, project for me. Uh, its title was Southern Africa's Debt Conundrum. And so my mission was to go out there. We spelled out four regional countries in Southern Africa. The first one is Angola and then Mozambique, uh, and then Zambia, and then Zimbabwe. So four countries. So I had to go out there and investigate Southern Africa's debt crisis. There's a debt crisis here in this part of the world. Um, it has gotten worse um, since the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, you can see it's as if we were a bit prophetic in our choice of that topic because uh, the COVID problem has actually accentuated uh, the debt crisis in this part of the world. So what is happening is these countries have been, um, the governments in this part of the world uh, have been borrowing unsustainably. And so as the debt, uh, the national debt goes up, the capacity of the state to deliver on public goods, uh, such as clean water, uh, such as uh, good roads, such as decent education, such as a good healthcare system, uh, that capacity is eroded vastly uh, because most of the resources being generated by the, by the nation must then go into debt repayment. And so as a result, uh, poverty is, is get, gets worse and uh, you get all these problems, uh, social unrest, social dislocation, uh, and generally 
you arrive at a situation where in Zimbabwe, more than half the population right now, as I speak, faces starvation. Uh, and yet, this is a country which is vastly endowed with all manner of mineral resources. Zimbabwe is in the top 10 in terms of world mineral production in uh, platinum, in diamonds, in gold, in chrome, all manner of mineral that you can think of. You find them here in Zimbabwe. There are more than 60 minerals here in Zimbabwe. But there are children in this country who are dying of hunger. It's unbelievable. It is, again, a governance problem. And so we went in there, these four countries, I investigated what is causing this debt crisis and how is it affecting the quality of life. So the findings were quite uh, eye-opening. I learned a lot. I set up teams in all these countries uh, and uh, we worked very well. Of course, you learn a few things. I can now speak a bit of Portuguese. Obrigado. Muito <laughs> bem, uh, muito bem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because as you know, in Angola and Mozambique, they speak oh, predominantly yes. Portuguese, yes. right? So yes. it was quite good, which brings me to another point about uh, being a journalist and doing this kind of work. Uh, there's a lot of traveling, which I enjoy so much. Um, that particular trip opened my eyes to what is happening uh, in the world, in the regional countries. And um, at the end of the investigation, I came, I came up with the recommendations for the regional governments, for civil society, for journalists, to make sure that the debt crisis is contained and to prevent it from uh, causing more problems for these uh, various societies. And uh, we, we found out a lot of uh, alarming things. Most of these countries, the four of them, all of them actually, they are dependent on natural resources, commodities. And uh, when uh, the mineral market, minerals market takes a knock, uh, when there's a downturn in the commodities market, these economies uh, feel the pinch. And so they get to be vulnerable because of, of, of that. Uh, so one of the challenges for the policymakers is to diversify their economies. Uh, maybe think of value addition. So if you're producing natural resources, don't just export raw minerals. Uh, think of making gold watches and the other jewelry, for instance, to add value. And so the nation then gets to earn higher export receipts that way. One thing I wanted to get your take on, we're, we're still pretty new at CCIJ, and I was wanting to get your perspective, particularly uh, in light of all that you've been sharing about the challenges in the region the challenges of journalism. Uh, what role do you think organizations and networks like CCIJ can play in helping to facilitate some of that movement or push toward better governance in these very critical times and in these very important countries whose economies often do have the resources, but for the people, the, the riches are not delivered or even the adequate living is not delivered? It's, it's very important, the work being done by uh, the CCIJ and other organizations in uh, the development of journalism. Uh, it goes a long way in supporting the work that journalists do in uh, building the capacity uh, of journalists uh, because it also provides mentorship and training and uh, you also have this sense of belonging when you are working with uh, organizations like CCIJ because you know that you can always uh, seek help when you need it. If should you run into problems, you, you are failing to, for instance, uh, 
maneuver on a certain story. You've got a story idea, but perhaps you don't know how to proceed. Uh, you can then link up with more experienced uh, practitioners in the field and they can help you. And I found it uh, very, very essential and very, very useful. Um, the support that I got from uh, Raymond Joseph uh, is based in Cape Town and he was seconded by CCIJ. And uh, I really appreciate uh, the collaboration that uh, it opened my eyes uh, because I think the future of journalism is going to be more collaborative than silo-based where you are locked up in your own little silo. It's uh, gonna require collaboration, it's gonna require teamwork, and this can even be done across borders. Uh, we've seen, for instance, uh, during my investigation into Southern Africa's debt conundrum, I realized that uh, there were certain angles uh, about the debt issue that you could not uh, meaningfully tackle without thinking in a collaborative manner. And, uh, I thank uh, the CCIJ for uh, teaching us that this is the way to go. Well, we're, we're very grateful to you, Brezhnev, for your, your contribution. And I know uh, Ray, Ray Joseph spoke very highly of you and your work and the story that you produce definitely uh, speaks for itself. Um, is there anything, this has been tremendous conversation, is there anything I haven't asked you, I've tried to inform myself about you and your work, Brezhnev, but is there anything I haven't asked that you would like to, to say about uh, journalism, about your work, about your background, anything I haven't asked? Well, thank you, thank you. Um, I think one of the issues will be I would be also interested after this COVID-19 uh, crisis is behind us, perhaps uh, organizations like yours can help us travel around, uh, maybe around Africa, so that we can have face-to-face -face meetings with other journalists. Uh, um, as journalists, we learn a lot when we travel and uh, get to stay a month or so in a different uh, country. And uh, we get to know about local uh, politics, uh, the local economics in different countries. It also helps us uh, when we seek these collaborations. Uh, I used to travel a lot, uh, well, before COVID changed the world. And um, I've been all over the world. I've been to the Congo, for instance, the Democratic Republic of Congo, one of the most fascinating places in the world. Uh, it's both fascinating and also a bit dangerous. So one moment you are looking at something amazing, another moment you're just wondering, am I going to survive today? Mm. So, but as journalists, we like to venture out into those spaces and learn more about the world. I think that would help us a lot. Well, th thank you, Brezhnev. The only, the, these are excellent points. The only quibble I would have is that this is not my organization, it's our community. <laughs> you, you're an indeed, important part Jeff. of us. <laughs> indeed, Jeff. Indeed, indeed. And, I, and I've, this is how I felt, you know. You're, I, I you're felt, a part of us, Brezhnev. Uh, I felt a sense of belonging that you're right. I've since, I felt a sense of belonging that I'm part of the family. And uh, definitely, definitely, well, you're going to be hearing a lot from me. Uh, if I run into trouble, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> no, no, very, very good. Well, thank you. Thank you again for taking time from your busy schedule to give us such, such a engaging and informative and, and really inspiring, uh, inspiring information about, about your work, your career. Thank you very much, Brezhnev.
the pleasure is mine. Thank you, Jeff. Well, uh, thank you again for joining us on Transparency Talks, the member-oriented podcast focused on truth, transparency, and trust produced by Volume. I'm Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, Executive Director of the Center for Collaborative Investigative Journalism, or CCIJ. You can find out more about our work at ccij.io. We are grateful to Brezhnev Malaba for joining us. Stay strong and stay true. Volume.